This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 219 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We have a special guest this week, and that's Simon Heaton. Hello. Simon, do you want to give us a brief introduction to who you are? Sure. So I am a content strategist, and I work over at a company called Shopify. We're a leading multi-channel e-commerce platform, and I work specifically uh, in our partner program. So I work with uh, a few thousand freelancers and agencies, uh, kind of giving them what they need to, to grow their own businesses. Cool. Well, we brought you on today to talk about an article that I ran across uh, that you wrote. I think it was for overlooked ways to find new clients offline. I think a lot of times we focus on the website and what can I do to my on my website to get people to come in? But there are other ways to do this. And I found your article really, really interesting. Do you want to give us kind of a brief overview on that? And then we can start talking about some of the particular strategies that you have there. Of course. Yeah. And first, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, today in our digital world, offline marketing or like, you know, in real life marketing is often kind of forgotten as a tactic to find new clients. A lot of agencies or freelancers really focus and rely on, you know, PPC campaigns, content marketing, social media uh, to really build a name for themselves in the industry. But that online world's kind of becoming a little bit of a saturated place for freelancers. It's almost like a shouting match, right? Like you have hundreds of suppliers who are vying to get the attention of a, of a client, let's say, and really only the loudest one can succeed. So, you know, what I really wanted to do with the article is touch base on some of these offline marketing tactics that can really help, you know, a freelancer or a consultant get in front of a, a highly qualified group of, you know, prospects for their business. So instead of fighting the, look at me, look at me, it's, oh, hey, I'm right here in front of you. Totally. And, you know, having that face-to-face interaction with somebody can really lead to a more meaningful conversation than kind of, you know, broadcasting online through a blog or your Facebook page or something. So I kind of want to just jump right into these strategies. I think the first one was host a meetup for entrepreneurs. I thought that was really kind of a fascinating idea. And I think it's something that we overlook that there's a local market. Yes, exactly. So a lot of the uh, freelancers or small agencies we work with uh, find a lot of success hosting meetups or uh, workshops that target entrepreneurs, small businesses in their local community. You know, it's a really good opportunity for them to network face to face with these guys. You can kind of think of it like content marketing in real life, right? Like workshops, you know, give you a chance to have these kind of meaningful interactions with prospective clients. But it's also what's really effective about it is it allows you to paint yourself as the go-to expert in your field uh, within your particular city or region. So how do you go about setting one of these up? I, I think we get the general idea that you're going to talk about something that you're the expert in, something that they can pay you for. But how do you go about setting one up? Do you just go on Eventbrite and create something and find a place to do it? Or is it more complicated than that? Yeah, of course. Well, it's definitely a lot more complicated than just that. You know, while Inventbrite or Envite, any of those sites are part of, you know, that process, uh, you really want to start with setting up the logistical stuff. So, you know, it's very much an event. So you'd have to look at it from that perspective. So you need to have, you know, a good venue. You know, if you're working out of your, your home as a freelancer, you want to maybe look into a co-working space or partnering up with maybe a local 
agency that you consult for and trying to use their space. It's really great to have a space that has, you know, kind of a common area where everyone can gather, sit comfortably and, you know, listen to the presentation or whatever you have going on for the content itself. It's really important to also consider, you know, that you have food and beverage and all these kind of amenities that someone would come to expect at one of these events before you even start the promotional part, right? And kind of, you know, once you've, you've got that stuff down and the logistics around where you're going to host the event and what you're going to have there is set out, you really want to start looking at promoting it. So you would kind of go through the usual suspects there. You know, you can use your social media accounts to help broadcast that way. You know, put a little ad spend behind some, some Facebook posts or, or Twitter posts uh, and get in front of some audiences that you might not have direct contact with to start. I would also say leverage your email list too. You know, if you have clients that you've worked with in the past, you know, invite them out to the workshop, send them a targeted email and say, come on, I have this great topic we're going to discuss. I really think you'd benefit from them and invite them over. A great way to do this, like you mentioned before, is using something like Inventbrite or an invite page. These are just kind of uh, event hosting ticket registration CRMs that you can uh, get people to to register, submit their email, and gives you a kind of an idea of how many people to expect once your event's going to gonna come underway. Jonathan, have you done anything like this? I know you speak at conferences, and that's one of the other tactics. But Yeah, I haven't done this, but it's kind of for a personal reason, I guess, which is that I prefer not to be in the same town with my clients. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't do this because just because of that. And I don't live in that big a town. Not that it would be difficult for me to, you know, go 45 minutes on a train to Boston and do something like this. But uh, I much prefer the, I don't know if it's the next one, but I much prefer speaking at events like this rather than organizing them. And that's totally understandable, right? Like I think, you know, hosting your own meetup or workshop, it has this extra layer of complexity where you actually have to be the event manager as well, right? Not just the speaker. And that can definitely turn some people off. But, you know, for the freelancer uh, who's just starting out, you know, this is a great way to tap into some potential clients. That local market is often overlooked. And there's a lot of small business owners who are probably looking for someone to set up a website or, or run some digital marketing campaigns for them. So it can be, you know, quite beneficial for someone, I think. So I can just hear somebody that's listening to this and they're going, well, that sounds like a good idea, but what would I talk about? How do you evaluate what you should be talking about at one of these local meetups? Right. And that's a really good question. The way I look at it is, you know, you want to put yourself in the shoes of, of your audience. So think about who your ideal client is, you know, that small business owner and try to think of, you know, what kind of problem would they be experiencing that my services uh, can solve? So in a lot of cases, the freelancers that we work with, uh, you know, they generally build e-commerce stores. So a lot of the clients that they're targeting are small business owners who maybe haven't taken that leap to online retail. And a great tactic for them is to, to host a meetup in their town that shows, you know, the, the mom and pop brick and mortar stores, the value of taking their business online. They can walk through how easy it is, the benefits that can have from it, maybe even throw up a few case studies of previous projects they've done that have shown success. And that way, you know, you're not only pitching your services to the attendees, but you're, you're giving them some insight and information that they can leave the meetup with and actually apply to their business in a way that's going to have tangible results. I recently heard about a, what sounds like sort of a variation on this, or maybe it's just a different target audience, but for a kind of really high-end consulting that targets, you know, the C-suite type executives, I was listening to someone talk about setting up a executive brunch sort of thing. 
where it's kind of like doing a webinar, but in person where you book a spot at a high end hotel and, and send out, you know, 10 invites for a really elite list of people in a major city. It doesn't necessarily have to be the city you live in, but probably somewhere close. And it's, it's basically the same thing where you're, you're putting on a presentation to these people. And it's kind of like what I would do on a webinar or at a, an industry conference, but feels a little different. I, I, maybe the word meetup is throwing me. Sounds a little more informal. What about doing meetups? Do you think it's important that it's local to you? I guess is a question I'm getting at. I, I don't think it's necessarily a crucial aspect that it's local. I think for a lot of people who are just trying to start out in terms of hosting a workshop or a meetup, the local market is the easiest one to kind of connect with. And it's a lot easier to get people to attend something in person, uh, especially that something's being hosted by, you know, maybe a freelancer that they've never even met before. If it's targeting that local audience, like they don't want to have to drive all the way out of town for something that maybe they're not sure what the value is going to be that they're going to get out of it. So I think it's a lot easier for, um, for the guys to, to, to target people who are in the local area. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to be an, an extremely formal experience. You know, you can do the whole between seven and eight, we'll have a presenter and then we'll mingle. You can have that, but you can totally go for the informal situation as well. You know, we have some of our partners at Shopify, they'll, they'll host meetups and, and workshops where they run interactive sessions. You know, they'll actually help people, you know, set up their first online store within the workshop itself, or they'll, they'll bring in panels and they'll have these guys kind of talk in a more casual way and, and do a little AMA on up at the stage. So it really depends on, on what you're willing to talk about and the level of effort you're willing to put into it. It could be as simple as a little networking event and a meet and greet too, if you want. Yeah, one thing I have found, though, is that even for the programmers and other meetups, there's an entrepreneurial meetup that I go to occasionally. The people that pull those together are usually the people that are the best connected. And it's just by virtue of the fact that they are sort of running the show and coordinating a lot of the expert guests and whoever else are going to be there. So it makes sense that if you're the organizer that you could take advantage of that. If you are doing more of a seminar style, though, how do you capitalize on that? So you sit down in front of all of the entrepreneurs who need your services. Let's say it is Shopify. So you have Shopify expertise. You can help them get set up with e-commerce. You sit down, you do your presentation. How do you push those people from interested parties in e-commerce to customers? How do you get them over that hump? Right. And and that's a question that we get all the time around kind of offline marketing initiatives. I think one thing we need to get clear right off the bat is that, you know, these offline techniques are very much a long tail game. You know, you're probably not going to see uh, someone attending your meetup or, you know, seeing you at a conference, let's say, immediately become a customer or a paying client. You kind of have to, you know, nurture them a little bit more after that initial meeting with them at the event. So, you know, you know, normally some of the partners that we work with who successfully host these kind of events, you know, they'll really focus on the information at the workshop or meetup itself. They'll really drive home the value of, you know, I want my attendees to leave this event learning something new. And when you do that, when that prospective client actually needs somebody to develop a website, you know, you'll be one of the first people that's top of mind and they're more likely to reach out to you. However, I'm not saying that you should wait passively until they, they reach out whenever they feel that they need some services. It's always a good idea to 
follow up after the event uh, with an email. You know, normally I'd suggest that you promise a little, uh, you know, lead magnet or a little bonus incentive at the end. So after the uh, event's over, you'll send them something that's very related to the content you talked about. And it gives you that opportunity to start a conversation with them when you can slowly, you know, keep yourself top of mind and, and kind of drip the idea of, of them working with you. But as I said, it's extremely vital that you uh, do this follow-up. Gather those emails either through the Eventbrite page or at the event itself for people who are dropping in so you have the, the opportunity to follow up with them and have that meaningful conversation over the long term. I think similar advice was given last time we talked about speaking at conferences. So Yeah, absolutely. Same exact thing, which I think we're going to talk about next. So I was going to say the next strategy yeah. is speaking at conferences. So how is that different from pulling together an entrepreneur presentation or meetup or whatever. Right. And Jonathan kind of touched on this earlier in our conversation in that, you know, when you're speaking at a, a pre-established event or conference, it kind of removes a layer of complexity to what you have to do in terms of organization. So now you no longer have to worry about, you know, setting up the venue, doing all that logistical prep work, and you can really focus and hone in on your speaking notes and the content you want to deliver. In a way, this does add a little more, makes it a little more complex because you have to actually, you know, pitch your idea to the person who's hosting it. So you're going to have to be able to sell yourself and the topic that you want to talk about to the organizer so that they bring you on board and you have the opportunity to access their audience. That is true, but it has an additional benefit, which is that you inherit some trust from the overall event, assuming that it's a good one. So if people say, oh, wow, you know, the TED organizers thought it was worthwhile to, you know, have this person come on. There's like this vetting thing that happens that I think would confer a little bit more trust than, hey, here's this event that I organized myself and pick myself to speak at. But I absolutely agree that it's, it's a much longer lead time. You need to convince the organizers or get an introduction to the organizers through a past speaker. And you need permission. So you need to be picked. So you can't really take control. You can do outreach and try and get picked. But uh, you know, that is a major disadvantage from organizing your own thing, because you, it might be a long time before you can get one of those gigs. Yeah, I totally agree. Aligning yourself with a reputable event or conference is a great thing for your brand, especially if you're you know, new to the industry, or you're not really well known yet. It allows you to kind of access an audience that you wouldn't have otherwise and kind of, you know, build a name for yourself uh, that's associated to, to the brand of the event or conference that you're speaking at. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting, too. I mean, I've spoken at RubyConf and RailsConf a few times, and I've actually gotten calls from people. You know, I just put something in there that says, hey, I'm a consultant. This is what I do. And I've gotten calls from people and they weren't calling me for anything related to what I spoke about. They were calling me just because I was on the speaker list. They needed Ruby on Rails. I spoke at RailsConf. There's something about the in-person interaction that is just massively trust building, regardless of whether it's a conference or your own event that you organized. There's just so much information communicated in real life that is that just gets lost over a webinar or even a video call. And people who you click with are going to click with you much more easily having seen you in person. I guess you're saying that you're just on the list. But overall, I, I, I'm a big fan of this notion of getting in front of people in real life one way or another. Yeah, I agree. One thing that's kind of a mix between the two that I've done lately is 
actually pulling together a meetup for podcast listeners or other people on my mailing list and inviting them to come meet up with me. So for example, when I was in Chicago for podcast movement, I sent an email around and said, Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. We're going to meet at this restaurant at this time. And, you know, I had five or six people show up. A few of them were actually people who, if you're in the Ruby community, you'd recognize their names. And they just came out because, hey, we're friends and hey, we think you're cool. And so we got that in-person connection there as well. The other thing is, is just attending the conferences and just, you know, sometimes they have social events or hallway track and you just meet people there too. Yeah, I've even found situations or, or I've witnessed people do this. I haven't done it yet, but I think it is a good idea, which is you apply to get selected to speak at an industry conference. You don't get in for whatever reason, or maybe it's last minute and you missed the call for speakers. One thing you can do is email the speakers and say, hey, I'm going to be in town anyway for other reasons or just because I live there or whatever the reason is. If anybody backs out at the last minute, you know, I'll be available to jump in. And I, I've seen speakers back out the last minute, probably 25% of the time, 25% of the conferences I've been at, somebody gets sick or misses their connection or whatever it is, and they don't show up. And if you've already got your name in that hat, you know, for the organizer to call and jump in last second, that's huge. The other thing you can do if that doesn't come through for you, which is a long shot, admittedly, is kind of do what Chuck just said and say, sort of jump on the, usually there's a Twitter feed for the conference or a Slack room and you can jump in there and say, you know, hey, anybody that wants to hear a presentation on whatever your thing is. So, you know, for me, it'd be like, oh, I'm going to do a uh, presentation on a responsive web design at 8 p.m. in my suite if anybody wants to come up or at some local venue or whatever it is. Uh, you can kind of take advantage of the fact that a whole bunch of people in your target market are at in town for the conference and you don't even have a ticket and you're not even attending. You're just staying in the same hotel and you can say, Hey, you know, free stuff for people. If you want to sign up here. Yeah. I, I actually did that at NGConf, which is the big angular conference. They had their feed that you could just post messages to. And so I booked a table at a local Indian restaurant and then I just posted to that for like two days and had about 10 people show up and we just all had dinner and talked about Angular. And it was, it was really cool. I mean, a lot of them, again, listened to the shows, but it was a great way to connect with people that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to sit down and chat with just in the hall at the conference. Mm, cool. And one other thing that we've done with the Adventures in Angular and JavaScript Jabber related to conferences is we've actually been the lunchtime track. And so we do a live podcast episode in the middle of the conference for lunch. We did that at NGConf. Both of those shows did. And most of us were there for the conference anyway, because it was kind of the conference for the language or the framework. JavaScript Jabber was a little different, but the conference was in Salt Lake and all but one of us lived in Salt Lake. And the other one of us was in town because she works for a company that's based out of Salt Lake. And so that all worked nicely too. And so again, if you have some angle that you can work with these people where it's interesting enough, and for us, it was that we have a podcast, doing it live worked out great. Of course, one of the organizers is on both of those shows. And so he, he arranged that for us, but we've done a freelancer show at a Ruby conference. We've done Ruby rogues panels at a couple of different conferences. And so again, I mean, it doesn't have to be just you and it doesn't have to be 
this major thing, if they think that it's going to be interesting for the people attending the conference, then the organizers will work with you to make, fit you in. Now I want Indian food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do a, a FaceTime call, sit across the table at Indian restaurants across the country. <laughs> so funny. With speaking at events and conferences too, like you're going to run into the same challenge as you would uh, hosting your own event in that, you know, how do you get these people, the audience members to become a paying customer eventually? Same kind of thing as before. Like it's a very long tail game, but there's a few things that I've seen um, some speakers do at conferences to kind of engage the audience to reach out and kind of add their mailing list, add to their mailing list. So one of them is using, it's kind of an automated approach. And I've used it a few times, a software called Lead Pages. So this is a lead generation SaaS platform. Like their standard solutions are, you know, uh, lead generation form pages, pop-up boxes, that kind of stuff. But they have this really cool solution that came out with it's called Lead Digits. And what it is essentially is an SMS-based lead capture form. So what I've seen people do is speakers will go up, they'll talk, and either they'll say, hey, uh, I have this free resource that's, that's complementary to what I'm talking about. Or, hey, shoot me a message and if you want to chat or have any questions. And they'll put this unique custom SMS number up on the screen. And people can text it, text their email to it, and it automatically uploads that to the mailing list and, and can trigger a drip campaign. Or, you know, it can just wait stagnant until you're ready to reach out to them. So it's a really good way to kind of engage the audience as you're speaking uh, and trying to capture and, and capitalize on some of that interest as the, as the conference is going on. Yeah, lead digits is cool. I find it's a little bit expensive. The flip side of that is is that you can get a 10-digit number. Lead digits has a five-digit number that you text yeah. it to. You can get a 10-digit number off of Twilio, and I've built something that does kind of the same thing in a half hour or so. And so it's not that complicated if you have the chops to go just build your own. But yeah, it, it's definitely a system that works, and lead pages integrates with most email providers, and so it's pretty much automatic after that to get people onto the list and get them what they've kind of signed up for or texted in to get. Definitely. So the next thing on this list, I'm just going to keep us moving here, is to set up a booth at an industry trade show. Now, this is something that I haven't done, and I know that some of those booths are a little bit expensive, but I guess you could just show up with a table and a chair if you really wanted to. Yeah, and you're right. I think that's one of the biggest challenges with this type of tactic is the cost. Generally, when you go to an industry trade show, you'll usually see the guys with the booths are, are probably established agencies rather than the freelancer. Uh, just given the cost that it takes to not only purchase the floor space, but to have a booth created, designed, shipped, and to pay for your own accommodations and stuff to get down to the show if it's out of town, uh, it can really be quite pricey. But as you said, you know some trade shows have you know, the smaller just table booths that you can go set up if you're, if you're really trying to get in, but on a budget. Yeah, I have a friend. He's actually on JavaScript Jabber, AJ O'Neill. And I was at a trade show in January. I was at CES and I was just wandering through the floor and he jumped out at me from a booth where his startup was. And yeah, that's essentially all they had. I think they had a banner behind them that had their company name on it. And then they were just sitting there and they had a couple of prototypes sitting on their desk and that's what they were doing. They were just talking to people as they came by about what they were doing. And if you have a compelling enough offering and you can show it off in, in a good way, then it doesn't matter necessarily that you have this big, pretty booth behind you. And they were kind of back in a little corner 
in the little budget area because that's all they could afford to get at CES. But at the same time, enough of the right people were coming through that got excited about the product to where they they were able to drum up some interest by being at CES. So it makes it it makes a lot of sense, especially if you've got a vertical that does have a conference like dentists or accountants or you know whatever. Uh, my father-in-law goes down to the trade shows in Las Vegas pretty frequently, and so he's looking at surfaces and concrete and kitchens and you know because he's a general contractor. And again, I mean, if you have a couple of your product to show off, and you can show them how it makes their life easier, they don't care that you've got this big pretty picture, or this huge banner hanging behind you, telling the name of your company, a business card and something memorable that they're going to want to take home and check out is enough. I totally agree. I think, you know, the look and feel of your booth is really like in real life clickbait, you know, I like the way you put that. Yeah. It's only good if you have some substance behind it. And uh, it's really about what you're going to do and what you're going to you know, talk about or offer attendees who are at the trade show. Is there a way to get in and is there a way to get a good spot on the exhibition floor? Or are you kind of at the mercy of whoever's running the show? Yeah, unless unless you really, uh, you know, your buddy buddies with the organizer, really the, the spaces are all divided based on costs. So the prime real estate in the middle of the trade show with the big sections are going to be significantly more than the ones off in the corner, like you said. So yeah, you're kind of at the mercy of the organizer for that. One other thing that comes to mind when we're talking about this is that I go to a local conference. Of course, this year was the last year. We're trying to organize something that's sort of similar. But it was Mountain Rest Ruby Conference, and it was held in the Rose Wagner Theater in Salt Lake City. And it's kind of a, I would say it's it's a smaller theater. And so the exhibition space was basically along the windows at the front of the building. So there really wasn't great space or terrible space. I guess the terrible space would have been further into the theater where less people were going to walk by you. But on those smaller conferences or where they have a smaller space for exhibitors, you can probably wind up getting a space for a whole lot cheaper because it's a smaller event and still be in front of your target market. The other example that comes to mind is So this year at Podcast Movement and last year at Podcast Movement, last year at Podcast Movement, all the exhibitors were down a hallway that people had to walk down in order to get to their sessions. And this year they were all kind of in the same area, but there were only two or three rows. And so if you wanted to get noticed, I think pretty much all of the attendees walked through there at least once or twice thinking, okay, is there anything here that I should check out that's going to help me with my podcast? And so again, you don't have to go to these huge conferences with massive show floors If you go to a smaller event, you may have better luck getting noticed by more people, even though there are more people at the bigger events. I totally agree. I think in a lot of times these niche, smaller trade shows are actually better in a lot of cases. You know, like you said earlier, if the conference or trade show aligns to a vertical that you normally serve, then you're going to have an audience that's more highly aligned to your to your offering. But also you'll probably face a lot less competition at these smaller events too. You're not going to be up against, you know, the behemoth agencies that are, are going to kind of woo some people away from your booth. Have you done this kind of thing, Jonathan? Or do you have any other thoughts you want to add? I've done it on behalf of people in the past. And it's, in my experience, it can be pretty hit or miss. So you want to, you know, if you're going to drop, you're going to drop five or 10 grand probably for a medium-sized conference. Or I should say it's easy to drop five or 10 grand uh, depending on how fancy you want your booth, if you're going to do any of that. So 
The thing that I would caution people about if they're thinking about doing this is to make sure that you're picking a, an event that will be attended by your buyers, not necessarily people who work for your buyers. So oh, good point. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time speaking at web conferences and in many cases, those weren't that beneficial. You know, I didn't have a booth, but I'd speak at them and that only made sense when I was selling things like books and v educational videos through O'Reilly. But once I started doing more high-end consulting for executives, it really made no sense because they don't attend those conferences. You know, their employees do. So, and, and you can sort of get referred up the chain by employees, but if you're going to spend that kind of money or make that kind of investment, if you're considering making something like a, a five or $10,000 investment in one of these sorts of things, you're really going to want to make sure that your actual buyers are there and you can talk to them directly rather than just their employees. One other question I have is that a lot of these companies, they show up and they have cool knickknacks or something. So you've got the stress balls or the USB sticks or whatever. I have to admit, I usually don't look at those more than once, uh, sure. even though I, I grab them and put them in my bag and let my kids play with them. But are they worth investing in? Yeah, I think this the swag that you see at trade shows and conferences is is kind of something that, you know, a lot of companies do just because it's the status quo. You know, oh, we need to have something to give away. A totally flip side, instead of doing something like, you know, the pens and the the kind of throwaway swag, you could kind of maybe invest in something uh, that's a little more impactful. So in my own experience at Shopify, you know, we've created a series of free books that help you know, freelancers and agencies kind of get started and get the uh, the balls rolling with their businesses. And when we go to trade shows and conferences, you know, we just give out these books for free. So it's not something that someone's going to throw in their bag, maybe use on the plane ride home or whatever. It's something they're actually going to read and engage with on the plane ride home. And that's really important in keeping yourself top of mind as an industry expert, because when it comes down to it, you know, all of these tactics that we're going through today, it's all about positioning yourself as the go-to expert in your field. And, and any way you can do that at a trade show or any of these events is, is good for me. Another thing, too, is when I, I used to work at an agency in town, and we would do a, a pop-up agency at a trade show. So we would do these mini on-the-spot consultations with people. So they'd come over, we'd sit them down, and we'd essentially go through what was a mini brief and help them you know, come to the conclusion of these are my problems and this is where I think it's heading. And what's interesting is they leave with, with more insight about the challenges that face their business. But they also, if you go through the consultation well enough, they also leave thinking, hey, this guy I just spoke to was very you know, insightful about my business problems. You know, maybe I'll call him up you know, when I'm looking for a solution. It's all about getting creative, I think, with, with the trade show so you can kind of offer something that, that everyone else isn't. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I... I don't know. I mean, I think I've seen companies kind of give away a mini version of what they offer, but where you're offering a service, offering kind of a mini service or a mini version of your service, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. It gives them, you know, a little bit of taste of what you can offer. You want to make sure that you're not giving away, you know, the whole service, <laughs> Oh right. Uh, but just like a little taste of what's to come if they were to work with you. And, you know, that's the impact that that can have is significantly more than a pen or a stress ball ever could. Right. Well, yeah, because that stuff just collects on my desk until I finally throw it out. But exactly. the, other, the other stuff, it's like, 
oh yeah, yeah, I really need this. I really ought to call these folks back or you're right. And it's just, it's building an experience for them, right? Like if you're doing something like on the spot consultations, you know, at these events, it, it becomes kind of an experiential marketing technique for your company. So you really are building a really engaging situation with these leads, but you're also, they're leaving the conference or the trade show with a memory of, Hey, that was pretty cool. That was different than what I would normally expect from the trade show. And you know, that, that could be all it takes for to, to keep you top of mind above a competitor. Mm-hmm. Well, with the other the other tactics, it seemed a lot like when you get to the end, you try and get them on your mailing list. So it's, hey, here's another freebie. Here's another goodie. You know, jump on the mailing list and you'll get it or text into this number and you'll get it. Is there a way to do that if you have a booth at a conference or other event? I think so. You know, a lot of the tactics that we discussed previously could, could still be applied uh, at a booth. I'm a big fan of, honestly, the the paper, pen, here's my email to get your, your freebie or whatever, right? You know, you might think that, you know, having an iPad would actually make that process quicker. But if you end up having, you know, 10 people at your booth at once, you're going to end up a little bottlenecked with people who want to fill out that form. So, you know, the, the, the pen and paper is a, is a tried and tested method for, for collecting emails at these events. Yeah, I've also yeah. seen the jars with the business cards. What were you going to say, Jonathan? I was going to say, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the iPad approach fail because the Wi-Fi is not accessible. True. Big plus one for the pen and paper. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's the classic conundrum for technical conference was when you're trying to demo something. Yeah. <laughs> Now, one other thing that I've done that was a little bit different with the booth is that I've gotten to be friends with the guys that do .NET Rocks, which is a big programming podcast. And so what wound up happening this last spring was we got invited out to partner with them and do live podcasts at the Microsoft Build conference. And that worked out really, really well. We had a booth. It was kind of back in the corner away from, you could still hear the noise. If you listen to those episodes, you could hear the the people around us and the general hubbub of the exhibition floor because that's where we were. But at the same time, it was really cool to just kind of have this space where people could walk by and go, oh, what's this over here? See us recording an episode with Microsoft folks talking about cool technology. And again, I mean something a little bit different, but at the same time, it was something that people were interested in. So the last one is cold call in person at local businesses. So cold call in person, is that walking in the door or is that picking up the phone? Yeah, it's exactly what you think. So it could be either. Uh, In this circumstance, I was referring to kind of like walking into the business itself and kind of trying to pitch your services on the spot. Now, a lot of, you know, freelancers or agencies would kind of laugh at that idea. You know, it, it seems a little antiquated or, or invasive at first, but it can actually be quite effective if, if it's done well and, and with the right research behind it. Can you elaborate on that? What, what do you mean by the right research behind it? Sure. So you're, you're not going to, you know, be, be able to win over someone's business if you walk in, you know, without doing a little research up front. So, you know, this is kind of, so let's use the example of you're a web designer and you're trying to convince a brick and mortar store that they should go online. Figure out if they have an existing website. If they do, you know, take a look at it, do a little mini audit and see, you know, where they can improve uh, and what kind of 
improvements that you can make through your services. And if they don't have a site, you know, try to make a case for why it could benefit their business. So that when you go in there and you, you know, you ask to speak to the owner and you're talking about how e-commerce or a website can really benefit your business, you're able to talk in their language uh, in a way that's kind of framed around, around their business objectives and the kind of products that they sell. Because if you've ever tried to like pitch a client with doing minimal research about their business and their existing channels, you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to fail. You want to make sure you go into these situations fully prepared with a, a solid understanding of who you're talking to and who they're talking to as well. We actually, uh, at Shopify, we work with this young freelancer, this guy in his 20s. He was fresh out of school, studied computer science, uh, and he was looking for a way to make a little extra cash on the side. So what he started doing was going into these local businesses in his town that didn't have stores online. So no e-commerce presence at all. Uh, And he would go in there after doing a little bit of research, talk to them in person and kind of sell them on the idea of going online. You know, it's a really bold approach, but you know, in his small town where it was run by a lot of mom and pop shops who had never even considered e-commerce as an avenue, it really opened their eyes to a potential potentially huge way to grow their business. You know, you're going to take a few losses. You're going to get people who are really resistant to this approach, but that's okay. As long as you're willing to have some of those tougher conversations, you're, you're, you'll be surprised at how many people will be uh, positively receptive to, to you coming in and trying to help them grow their business. I find it interesting too, that as we're talking about this, I mean, it's a tactic that I don't think most people will employ. And so if you're the only one doing it, then you're going to be the only one that's picking up the people that are receptive to it. Exactly. The other thing is, is that I, you know, my dad is not a technical guy. He's a dentist. I've brought that up on the show a few times. And I, I honestly don't think that he would really, you know, get into or understand somebody trying to call him on the phone or, you know, push some of this stuff, you know, from a technical standpoint. But if they came in and showed him, what they could build him as far as a website went, I mean, it'd be a completely different conversation. I totally agree. You know, if you're able to actually have, you know, some case studies or tangible websites that you've built for, you know, someone in a similar situation, it can really go a long way uh, with building trust with that person and really showing the value that you can offer their business. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and as difficult as it might sound to just sort of walk up and literally knock on a door and introduce yourself. It's a really fast way. If you are in a position where, you know, you really want to get some cash flow going, it's, I think of any of these, it's the most, it's the quickest path to a check. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, and the thing is, is that in all of these scenarios, you're in a position where you can actually show people what they're going to get because you're there in person and hopefully you have something that you can just, you know, bring up. But in this case, if you've done your research, then you can actually show them their website and then show them how you would make it better. And they can immediately see and appreciate the value of that. I actually have a one of my clients, longtime clients, is in the business of, of setting up tools that allow this to happen. So it's called Sticky Apps. And the idea is for photo- it's a service for professional photographers. And the approach is to do exactly what we're talking about, which is say, okay, here's this, um, whatever pizza place. And they hired me to take professional photos for their menu or whatever it was. 
And they can go back and create a website for that business with a tool that's not dissimilar from lead pages, but it's just sort of a sort of a very quick and easy way to make a gorgeous, responsive website. And then they can turn around and like bring an iPad and go back to the place and say, hey, I noticed that you don't have these new photos that I shot for your menu. They're not on your website. And I noticed that your website's not responsive, so it doesn't work that well on phones. What do you think about this? And you sort of whip out the iPad and be like, oh, check it out here and look how great this is and look at it on your phone. And it's uh, actually very effective. Oh, I'm sure, because they, they can look at that and they can immediately say, yes, that's what we want. Yeah, they just, they want it. Like, what, what? Because <laughs> a lot of times, you know, like we're talking about, if you have done your research, you know that their current website, if it even exists, is probably pretty junky, especially for restaurants. And, you know, this can, it's immediately, they just want to know, like, how, how much, how do I get this? I agree, especially if you can show the business outcome as well. Like, it's great to, to say, hey, I built this beautiful website uh, for a restaurant or whatever. But if you can, you can show that, you know, the impact that you had on their business, it led to 20% more online reservations or something, you know, that's when you're really speaking the language of the business owner who isn't necessarily tech savvy, who maybe doesn't see the upfront value in, in hiring someone to, to build a new website for them. But when you can, you can show them the outcomes that it'll have on their business and their revenue, they'll really get a little bit more excited, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's true, regardless of how you're communicating with clients, whether it's in person or not, you should always be talking about the result, not the tools, or I'm going to build you this specific thing. And isn't it going to be wonderful? It's like, no, they want more leads or whatever, more customers, more sales. Definitely. So are there any other tactics or tricks that you can use while you're doing this kind of offline connecting with people that will bring them along a little faster or make them more interested in hiring you? Or is it really just getting in the door so that they know who you are and so that you can reach out to them again and again to build that relationship? Yeah, honestly, I think first and foremost, like you said, it's it's really important to just get in there and, and get some FaceTime, you know, with these potential clients. So they can put a face to the name, you know, they they can see that you're can be a trusted advisor for their business. But really to to kind of move them along the funnel, you know, I would rely on you know, some sort of, of hook to entice them, right? Like, especially if you're, if you're not, not necessarily talking about the cold calling one, but, you know, if you're trying to gather emails at events and stuff, like you really want to give them a reason to, to hand over that email. Like, you know, as we all know, nobody wants to just give the email for free just to subscribe to something. And that's where really these idea of like content upgrades, lead magnets come into play, which typically are used, you know, in blogs and in online content marketing, uh, but can still be quite effective when you're, you're marketing in real life. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to the picks. In fact, before we do that, uh, Simon, do you want to just tell people how to follow you on Twitter or check out any other blog posts or anything else that you want people to have a look at before we get to the picks? Yeah, sure. Yeah, anyone can easily find me on Twitter. My handle is just Simon Heats. Unfortunately, Simon Heaton was already taken. <laughs> and then I, uh, like I said, I, I work for Shopify on the Shopify Partners. And you can follow a lot of the blogging that I do about freelancing, working with clients, growing and building an agency on our partner blog, uh, which is at shopify.com slash partners slash blog. And we're really publishing a lot of stuff that can really help uh, freelancers grow and build their businesses. So definitely check it out. Some uh, shameless self-promotion. <laughs> awesome. We appreciate it. Jonathan, what are your picks? I've got two picks. Uh, one will be 
a blog post by Alan Branch from Less Accounting called How We Hijacked an Entrepreneur.com Event Sponsorship for $500. And it's a really clever article written by Alan, who is hilarious. So, and it fits in with the topic of, you know, if you're going to go to a conference or if you're going to try and maybe not actually speak at the conference, but take advantage of the fact that a whole bunch of your target buyers are going to be in town, this is a really clever way to do it on a shoestring budget. So that's uh, pretty funny. I'll put that in the show notes. And on the same theme, I have a blog post called Hacking Conferences for Fun and Profit, which gets into some of the same topics. Not as funny as Alan, but <laughs> perhaps useful. Alan's hilarious. Yeah, he's a riot. But that's it for me. All right. I'm not sure I've got... Yeah, we, we talked about automation already. So, <laughs> And I think I picked all the stuff there. But uh, that's basically what I did last week was just setting that up. So, yeah, I don't have any picks this week, which is odd for me, but that's the way it is. Simon, what are your picks? Well, we kind of mentioned uh, this one earlier in the, the segment, but, you know, I'm a huge fan of lead pages. I use it a lot for my own lead generation. And if you're looking to, you know, capture some some emails when you're speaking at an event or hosting a meetup and you, you want a more of an automated way to do it, I, I'm a huge fan of their lead digits tool where it's just an SMS-based send your email through a text and you're signed up, subscribed, and you can even integrate that with, you know, pretty much any of the email software out there and you can start a drip campaign or whatever you want to do with them. So that's definitely one of them. And then uh, in terms of my second, you know, we mentioned Eventbrite earlier, but uh, I'm a huge fan of Envite, which is just the letter N and then V-I-T-E for hosting my events online. So, you know, it's entirely free to use if you're not you know, asking for payment for the tickets. It's really cleanly designed. It allows you to capture emails and integrates with a lot of other pieces of software. And it's really just a great tool I found for kind of having a, an online location where, where people can discover your offline event. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the show and we'll catch everyone next week. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.